What's up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. It's another one of those weeks. It's Mike and Derek. Derek, how's it going? It's going. So let me just apologize right now because there there is a tree removal taking place in front of my house. It's really loud. So I'm going to do the best that I can, going to mute as much as I can. But here we are. Tree is being removed at the moment. It is what it is. So, yeah. And I and I think I think it's been fine so far, but uh, I guess we'll let the viewers decide. Bum bum bum. Just kidding. Um, Don't tell us. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they will. They will. Um, but, well, before we get started, I, I kind of briefly touched this at the last episode, and I just figured it'd be nice after the fact. Now that we have Derek, the professional in the room, didn't mean to do air quotes. Sorry. <laughs> Don't be. You know. I mean, it kind of it kind of is. I figured you could just give us a brief recap in your words about what um, All Saints Sunday means or what kind of significant it, significance it holds. Um, you could probably do a better job than I could. Yeah. So last weekend we uh, celebrated All Saints Sunday, which is um, pings to All Saints Day, which is November 1st. Um, it is the day in the church calendar that we acknowledge the saints that have passed on in the last calendar year, um, specifically the saints that have passed on in the last calendar year. And so congregations um, who celebrate All Saints Day probably commemorated those individuals by naming them, um, maybe lighting a candle for them. I was in a congregation that actually uh, told told a bell. Um, we did too. We each, run yeah, bell. yeah, for for the saints that have gone on. And um, you know, it's it's a in my mind, it is it is one of those important points in our Christian year where we remind ourselves about the communion of saints. The, um, it's a part of the Apostles' Creed, mm -hmm. and it is uh, a, a mystery a mystery for us, but a reality at the same time that anyone who dies believing in Jesus doesn't really die. In fact, they live a, now live a more substantial existence because they are in eternity. And one of the things that I said um, at the church that I was preaching at on Sunday was that we often talk about remembering the saints that have gone on, mm. but I am convinced that there's also this conversation about how the saints remember us mm. and what the saints are giving to us from that side of the veil, if you will. Um, and so I think about my uh, younger brother, Maurice, who passed last September and last year on All Saints Day at the church that I attend, we had a moment to celebrate his life as well. Like, and mm -hmm. so we're a year and like, you know, the year later, you don't keep naming these names on All Saints Day, but we obviously are reminded of them. And, and I literally am thinking about the ways that my brother is in eternity talking to my great grandmother and my grandfather and my grandmother, like all of my relatives and probably my ancestors um, about the shenanigans that I'm up to right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> just the ways that they could be blessing us from there and cheering for us. And we have text that reminds us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Um, and we imagine that they're cheering us on in the faith um, until we get to where they are. And so All Saints Day, you know, it kind of gets missed sometimes because it's not like one of these, like, it's, you know, it's not. Christmas, it's not Easter, it's you know, it's not even a season, it's a day. But 
um, for those of us who have lost loved ones who are a part of the communion of saints, it's a very, very special day of remembrance and celebration. And so um, talking about it a couple of days later, but I, th I think it bears repeating. So no. yeah, all saints day. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you. And and I, I actually do think that that sets us up really nicely for some of the texts we are talking about this week. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm glad that we got that, that little recap back. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just, I had a beautiful experience with that at our, our service. I, I mean, I do think it's a very communal, communally giving thing too, for the congregation to kind of like band together feels very, very family, family oriented. So um, that being said, Derek, do you want to open us up in prayer real quick and then we can get rolling? Yeah, let's pray. Great God, we give you praise and thanks for all that you are and all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you on the heels of All Saints Day for those who have gone before us, um, both our ancestors in love and our ancestors in the faith. Um, and so we ask that you would continue to open our eyes and ears to the beauty that is this, this text, the scriptures, the Bible. Um, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it in this context of Studio Wesley Annex. And we love you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to get us rolling with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. Pairs very well with what we just talked about. Derek, I'm just going to leave us both up on screen just because that works with you. Um, uh, yeah, so this is this is the text. We, we're probably all familiar with it, whether we can name it or not. This is um, this is, I believe, it's Paul speaking. Paul's sort of um, he's telling us about the about the afterlife after death, what happens with those. And I do think it's a very comforting sort of text. I'll read chunks of it. Uh, Paul says, "Here's what we believe: since Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, God will bring with Jesus all who have died through Him." where we can say all this to you confidently because it is the word of the Lord. And then the part that I'm going to be talking about more so is kind of the last chunk. This is how we, the resurrected and the living, will be with him forever. So comfort one another with this hope and encourage one another with these words. So the reason I, I, I kind of chose that last chunk, comfort one another with these words, um, and Sorry, before I start, I need to do the like, my classic like cynicism warning because uh, I think and I, and I never want to come across as though I'm telling people how to Christian because I think that's a huge red flag. And I, I never want to do that. But I do think there's there's some warnings that I'm pretty known for giving on these episodes. And this passage just kind of screams one of those. And again, it's probably my, my cynicism talking, but I'm going to go there anyways. Um, so as always, I think this is a scripture that has a potential to make eyes roll like specifically in the non-Christian world because it's comforting from a Christian aspect. And then the question becomes, how do we use that to comfort people who aren't as bought into the faith journey as we are? This is like a scripture that very much applies to people who, who have bought in, right? We, we believe in the Christian journey. Therefore, this is comforting to us. We're like, oh yeah, my family members and these, and these people that were that have passed, they still live on and I can cheer and be proud of that and be comforted in that notion. But how is that valuable to people who aren't fully bought in? Because to people who aren't fully bought in, if you approach them with this, again, it makes eyes roll. It's like, um, how is that? How does that help me? I don't even know if I believe what you're saying. So um, in my notes for Christians to repeat these things blindly is to remove um, the power from them. Like you have to include the context the context of the comfort being that this situation is hard and it is difficult. And it's not just a 
hey, be comforted. Okay, stop being sad. Like, no, there is still a grieving process. And I do think that that exists in this chapter. And I just want to bring um, acknowledgement to the fact that although we can be comforted and we can even be like happy and um, hopeful and very like excited about this new chapter that this passage is, is discussing, there is still the conversation surrounding grief and um, the loss of loved ones and what that all looks like going forward. That is not comforting, but, but, but does hurt us. Right. So that's, that's part of that conversation. Um, and I could go into this whole conversation on what I think about resurrection specifically and like, um, what I think it means in this discussion of like heaven on earth and, um, those who don't accept me on earth, uh, when they go to heaven like that and how those things kind of all relate. But I wanted to just start there kind of very blatantly. And then Derek, I'm going to let you respond to what I just said, because we always love hearing you talk more than me. <laughs> I don't think that's really true, but, um, and you might even be surprised at my, what I'm going to bring to the table with this yeah. particular text. Um, so I grew up in a church context that when this scripture was brought up, it um, was always uh, referencing or used to reference a very recent uh, theological take about the coming of Jesus. Um, and some uh, who might be watching or listening would be reminded of a term called the rapture. Mm. Um, of, uh, and depending on the space that you heard about the rapture and the theological context of that space, um, some of those folks, um, with, you know, there's pre-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. And, and there's behind. the whole idea of the rapture of like um, being left behind and also like, and the mass chaos and like there are movies that yeah. have been made about it, like many movies that have been made about it. And little known fact that actually um, made my uh, youth group in high school, when I was in high school, I made the youth group that I was leader of, I made them watch um, one of those rapture movies with no thought about like the traumatic impact oh it would God. have on them. Uh, yeah, this was not, not my best day. Okay. I was also a teenager. So cut me there's some like, slack. I remember I there's like the kids, the kids version of left behind series. It's like 80 books. Well, uh, and yes. Like, oh my God. And left behind had actually not come out yet. So that's, Oh, oh, like, oh yeah. It's like, yeah. It's the movies actually that were made in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, here's the thing. Like, and I, I, I ping with what you said, Michael, of this desire to comfort those of us who are mourning the loss of, of loved ones and relatives. And this hope, trying to tap into this hope that this is not all there is. Mm. Um, this desire to try to explain a mystery so that we have something to hold on to in the midst of our grief. If I feel that. Um, personally, again, as I think about my brother yeah. who passed over a year ago. And then there's this line that you're trying to caution us on about taking all of that so far that maybe we create scenarios that are not as helpful in the other areas of our lives. Hmm. And one of the things that many of us who grew up in spaces that promoted ideas about the rapture, which is a more a very, very recent um, addition mm. to the theological discussion, um, both around the end times in general, but also just generally about the Bible. It's a very recent uh, 
edition, like we're talking 19th century um, mm -hmm. edition. So, it, you know, we, we, we've been talking about the Trinity. We've been talking about the Lordship of Jesus. Um, we've been talking about our commitment to the poor. We've been talking about some of those concepts way longer than we've been talking mm -hmm. about, oh, maybe this is talking about this moment that like we call the rapture. Yeah. And I just want to say that, again, I think it's because we all have this deep, deep desire to be able to say with some certainty what's going to happen next. And the truth is we don't know. Hmm. And I don't think that when Paul or whoever is writing in the tradition of Paul penned this letter to the Thessalonians, I don't think they were trying to give us Definites, even though the word definite definitely is in there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in the translation. <laughs> I don't think they were trying to get trying to give us this data, this scientific data that this is the way this is going to work. I think they were doing what you initially said, Michael. I think they're trying to comfort those of us mm. who are mourning those who've gone before gone before us and are concerned about what that even means. Um, and this is where faith must come in, that we must deepen our faith. And at some point, faith is a leap. At some point, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen, as the, the preacher in Hebrews tells us. And so I just, my take on this text is simply, let's be careful how deeply we read into it. Yeah, The rapture could very well be the thing. Many of us are not sure about that. But being yeah. sure or not sure about the rapture is actually not um, the marker of faith in Christ. The marker of faith in Christ is our trust in his ability to work all things together for good, including death. That is actually the faith we are growing into. And that is what I believe the writer of this this part of Thessalonians is trying to get us to as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm now I'm I'm thinking of all those those phrases of like they're in a better place or like uh and and there's a new angel among us or whatever like yeah. um which which most of the time are are coming from that comforting place but they I think they can diminish. I love man I love that I love that idea of like even in death we're we're just working for for God's glory here. So, yeah, and, yeah. but I, and I, and I, I holistically believe that that, that that involves like allowing space for that grief and that mm -hmm. sorrow to come through, because we've talked so many times about how even in the bad times, like God does speak through us. And the reason we can be angry with God is because we have faith in God. Right. So um, yeah. Okay. Great stuff. I'm going to let us move on now. Uh, your turn with Joshua, Joshua. Joshua. Yeah. Joshua 24. So um, I have to say that Joshua is one of my favorite uh, parts of the Old Testament, um, in part because it's so problematic. Um, there's just a lot going on in Joshua and poor Michael's face. <laughs> it's so problematic um, for those of us who live in, in the 21st century world, even probably the 20th century world, just the, um, the to imagine that God has told a group of people to 
um, go into a land where other people live, take that land, um, and even uh, destroy the people in that land. That's just a lot for us to hold on to and take in. And so I just want to name that. And particularly at the time of this recording, we are we are in the middle of the Israel-Hamas war. And so that that space is really hard. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to, and it's always been a difficult conversation, just things happening in Israel-Palestine and, and the Middle East more broadly, the history there, the political implications and uh, geopolitics of that space. And so I just want to name that like reading a section from Joshua can have some, some triggers. And so I just invite us to take care of ourselves and just to remember that the, the book that we call Joshua was given to us in some very specific um, context that we hold in tension with the world that we live in today. Um, and I do think, again, it's one of my favorite books in part because of its it being problematic and it forces us to ask some really hard questions about what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be the people of God amidst other people who might not necessarily call themselves the people of God, or we don't deem them to be the people of God. And so it forces us to ask some questions. And I'm not saying that Joshua's the roadmap. In fact, I'm saying Joshua may be the warning of when we are in a midst of certain situations, let's see what happened there and decide if we want to do that too. The, we are in the last chapter of Joshua for this week in the lectionary. Um, and I just remind you, in the liturgical year, we're coming to the end of the liturgical year. And so that's just where we're kind of, all of our texts are kind of pushing us to an ending because we're about to get into a beginning. Um, the, the new liturgical year, which will start with Advent, it's the beginning of the liturgical year. So we're, we're starting to finish some conversations, if you will. But this is the beautiful thing about even this text. The finishing of a conversation is actually the beginning of a conversation. So let me explain the context of Joshua 24. Um, the, the people of Israel under Joshua's leadership have entered into the promised land. They have uh, been there for a little bit. There have been some scuffles, some wars. Um, according to the text, there's there has been some, um, some so there's been a lot of things, okay? Um, and and I just want to name that again, because this, this is a book that's really hard to kind of read through. Um, there is some evidence that, yes, while the book talks about groups of people being killed, there is some evidence that even in the scriptures that those groups of people actually still exist beyond this. So we could be talking about a story that was given more than actual events that happened. And I know for some of us, it's like, but it's the Bible. It's like, it's going to be okay. All right. I'm saying a whole lot of stuff. Let me get back to Joshua 24. So we are now at the end of the era of Joshua's leadership. And they are about to go into a new era of the judges. That's what's going to happen next. And so it's the end of an era that is ushering in a new era. And in Joshua 24, it's almost like they've been gathered together as sort of a... Um, a, a, a review of where we've been as the people of God. This happens actually in Deuteronomy at the end of Moses's leadership and the beginning of Joshua's, where Moses kind of takes them on a journey of where we've been. And all of that is in the service of where they're going. And so this is very, excuse me, very similar at the end of Joshua. 
I want to invite you to read. I'm not going to read any of the text because I actually really want to invite you to go read it. The lectionary suggests that you read um, in chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, and then pick up verse 14 through 25. And I do want to invite you to go read it. And I want to invite you to read it in this way. You, you might be tempted to read this as a conversation that is taking place um, very uh, personally and very sort of just just this person says this thing, this group of people says this thing, and they're just sort of talking back and forth. But I actually want to invite you to consider that maybe Joshua 24 is liturgy. Liturgy. Liturgy is this beautiful part of our worship practice where it's already been laid out what everybody's going to say what the leader is going to say and what the community is going to say. And essentially the community just says what's on the paper or on the screen or the papyrus or whatever. And I do want to invite you to read it that way because I actually think then the context of what Joshua 24 is trying to get to get us to will actually be experienced in a deeper way. So I said I wasn't going to read anything, but I will. I'll read a little bit here because I think it's really important. Um, Joshua has said a bunch of stuff from 14 on, and and they the, and the people of God have responded. And then verse 19, Joshua says something really, really dramatic. Listen, and they had just said, "We're going to serve the Lord." That's essentially what they just said. Verse 19, Joshua says this: "You can't serve the Lord because He is He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion and your sins." Now, if this is just a conversation taking place very informally between Joshua and the people. And the people just said, we're here to serve the Lord. That's what we're saying yes to. And it's just like, actually, you can't. It, people might have some feelings. People might be like, wait, what? Like, aren't we? We just said, what's happening here? But if it's liturgy, then there's something else we're trying to get to. When we participate in liturgy, a call and response that's already been, been sort of written out for us, prescribed, we are not just trying to bring up the things that the people of God want to say, but we're also trying to bring up the things that the people of God need to say. We're trying to remind the people of God of some, some things in the moment as we are moving forward together in worship. And so it seems to me that if you read this passage as liturgy, what we actually have is Joshua just reminding the people, it's not that easy. It's not as easy to serve the Lord just by saying it. You must remember who we're talking about and you must remember what it asks of you. And so the people of God, um, it actually goes on in verse 20, but the people of God then say back to Joshua in verse 21, no, the Lord is the one we will serve. And y'all, that feels like a communal liturgical response. I mean, you can hear it if you ever do call to worships or even like the communion liturgy, the Lord be with you. And Michael, what what do we say after the Lord be with you? And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Oh, am I wrong? No, you're right. Yeah, oh, you're okay. right. Yeah. And then lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We lift them up to the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we won't do anymore. Okay, that's cool. All right. Some of us do communion liturgy more often than others. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. I'm also a nerd. Remember, I'm a nerd. So all of this is like, I remember this more than people's names. Anyway, <laughs> all I want to do is just invite us then to consider this. 
what are the liturgies? What are the statements? What are the sayings that both remind us of where we've been, but also call us to where we're going? What are the things that we say to ourselves, but also say in community that remind us of where we've been and also push us to where we're going? This is a part of our faith practice. And I just want to name that even for those of us who are not like in this deep, convinced place when it comes to faith in Jesus, these kinds of statements, so statements like the Apostles' Creed, which remind us of where the church has been in our beliefs, but also then stir up some stuff in us about what, what we might need to address going forward, these become really important even on the journey of belief, on the journey of being convinced in Jesus. And so I just invite us to look at this text and then to sort of ask the question kind of theoretically and, and kind of culturally, what are, the, what are the liturgies? What are the sayings? What is the call and response that again, helps us think about where we've been, that space between where we've been and where we're heading? And I think that that is as much a personal practice as much as it can be a communal practice. So with that, I'll stop. Dude, I I love this. So I'm going to go on a tangent because you brought up liturgy in this. And I think that's a really interesting discussion. There's a friend of mine who sang on a worship team with me for quite a while. And they're a non-believer, right? But but just wonderful singer. And like they can get into the spirit. They just don't know what that spirit is or looks like for them. Regardless, they're like, oh, yeah, I love church so much. The only parts I don't like are when everybody kind of talks at the same time. I don't like that. I don't like that part. That's part that part's weird to me. And and so so sometimes I do engage with that discussion of like what what is the purpose of this? And in context of this scripture and the way you just placed it, I I I there's like a bravery or like um a confidence that comes out of picturing a bunch of people saying this. Again, like using the same scripture you just quoted. Um, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. And they're like, no, we will serve the Lord. Like that's a, that, that, that's a, for lack of a better, that's a ballsy statement to say like that is, yes, like yes. Bold, you know, to, to fight like, Hey, you're going to be destroyed with, but we will serve the Lord, you know, like, and, and then picturing the, like the strength and the bravery of like a group of people saying that together does hold an entirely different meaning because you now there's like strength in numbers and there's that, there's that, that bravery to it. So that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the main thing I want to add here. Cause I, yeah. Wow. Cause I, I mean, I read it that way the first time I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yikes, what, <laughs> what were you going to say there? Well, I'm just going to add also when it's, if we compare this to liturgy, this is not at all telling us how we're going to do that. Hmm. It is not at all giving us the stories, the strategies, the methods by which we can serve the Lord. Hmm. It is more so just declaring that this is what we're going to do. And that's an important piece, Yeah, but it's not all. And here's what we know. The story that comes after Joshua is a hot mess. Hmm. And the people of God, the people of Yahweh, the children of Abraham, um, and those who will um, inherit, um, quote unquote, inherit um, this story as followers of Jesus, we have we get to now use this as a part of both what we declare, but also really thinking about okay, 
They declared it, and it was super hard for them to live this out. What does it mean for us to declare it, knowing that it was hard for them? And again, these are yeah. words we should say. Yeah. But that's and that's an important piece of it. It is not all of it. It's mm. the liturgy, which is not even the whole worship service, but it's a part of it. So yeah, that's all I was going to add. So good. It's so good. Um, before we go to the break, just on the scripture as like a total other other thing that I just want to say because I feel very called, depending on who the audience of this and stuff are. Um, a couple of years back, I got to take a trip to, to Istanbul, Turkey, and I got to um, to see the Hagia Sophia, which is um, originally a church turned mosque turned museum, now turning back into a mosque. And um, just as it relates to this passage about um, about foreign gods and everything and, and how that relates with Christianity. I have never felt something more beautiful than when I saw the Hagia Sophia. And yes, there's a lot of like, like weird overtaking and exchanges of power that go into a place like that. But at its core, walking through this building that, that has relics of different religions coexisting in one space um, is like a very weirdly emotional thing for me because I, I do think that's really beautiful. And, and I just want to, bring attention to the fact that like um, in this discussion of like foreign gods and other religions and how they, they coexist and stuff. I think as Christians, there's so much to gain out of like finding the, the beauty in these other religious spaces um, that can really bring a lot of unity as, as we engage on our journeys with people on other journeys um, that over this desperate need to like combat each other, others beliefs, like, Anyways, sorry, total tangent, but this, this scripture like bled that for me when I read it too, because I can't help but think of that beautiful experience with the Hagia Sophia. So, okay, with that, uh, I'm going to lead us into a break now. Uh, we'll see you very soon. You guys don't know how long of a break we took. Could have been hours, could have been minutes, could have been seconds. You'll never know. You won't uh, know. Mm, mm. It's the wonderful mystery of editing. Uh, <laughs> Derek, do you want to launch us into Psalms 78? Psalm 78. Yeah. So away, again, now let's remember again, like the lectionary is supposed to have these points of interaction and connection. And so it feels so, so good to read Psalm 78 just on the heels of talking about Joshua 24, because you could almost, if we're talking about a worship service, you could almost hear this psalm being read in the same service as this liturgy from Psalm 24. It's just beautiful. It doesn't always work out like that, but today, this week, it definitely did. And, and so again, I invite you to read Psalm 78. We're invited to read verses one through uh, eight, I believe. Um, so, some really good good thoughts. Uh, is it eight or seven? Oh my! It, is it, I think it's seven. Is it seven? Is it, yeah. Is it, is it, is it, it's it's seven. You're not. You're I'm not gonna, allowed to talk about verse eight. You're I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about verse eight. I'm gonna talk about verse eight because it's good. Okay. In fact, I'm gonna read starting at verse six. 
Um, this, let's just listen to this. Um, and again, it's picking up from words that were just said. This is so that the next generation and children not yet born will know these things. And so they can rise up and tell their children to put their hope in God, never forgetting God's deeds, but keeping God's commandments. And I think you have to read verse eight after that. You have to, where it says, and so they won't become like their ancestors. <laughs> a rebellious, stubborn generation, a generation whose heart wasn't set firm and whose spirit wasn't faithful to God. And remember, I told you that with the Joshua text, we know looking back that the things that happen after Joshua 24 are a hot mess, that, that the people of God are not actually able to do the things that they said they were gonna do in Joshua 24. At least that's the story we've been given. And so Psalm, Psalm 78 comes through and reminds us that everything that we've been given is actually something we have to keep passing on. And that's a big meta narrative that's also happening um, in, in these texts, that there's this stuff that we're passing on to next generations, the story that we're giving. But I just want to speak to college-aged young adults right now, and I'm going to say some things based on what we see in Psalm 78 um, that might get me canceled, but I'm going to go ahead and like like take some some courage and try this. I need you to know, and this is something for me too, but I need you to know that for those of us on the journey with Jesus, those of us who are living our lives or attempting to live our lives in the direction of Jesus, um, we are as responsible to the next generation of Christians as those who came before us were responsible for us. And they may have failed. They may not have given us all the things we needed. They may not have been the kind of examples that we needed. In fact, sometimes we look back on the ancestors of our faith, and sometimes those ancestors are just the generation before us that's still in leadership, but you get what I'm saying. Sometimes we look at those folks older than us and that you know should have passed on some things to us, and we're like, you make me want to not be a Christian. Like your words, your actions, your you, the 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 decisions you've made, you make me want to leave the faith. And I want to say all of that's valid. That's why we have to read for sake, right? But I need you to hear this. We are responsible for passing on the faith to the next generation. And when I say we, I don't actually just mean the, the, the older adults in the room of faith. I mean all of us. I mean Michael. <laughs> I mean, our Studio Wesley interns. I mean, you, 19-year-old that's still trying to figure out faith. And I, I get it. And we hold in tension the fact that we are personally still trying to figure out if we're going to remain Christians. But here's the other piece. that We have been called. We have been invited into our part, our part in this big story. Even in the most um, doubtful way is to pass on what we've been given. And it's important for the people of God, it's important for our roles that we at least acknowledge it, if not take it seriously. And so I just invite you to read Psalm 78. And again, it takes us back to that place where we've come from and where we're headed. Have you given any thought to those who might come after you? 
Have you given any thought to the example that you bring and how that might actually impact those who come after you in the faith? It's not the whole thing, right? Like it's not everything. There's still room for us to talk about our, our doubts. There's still room for us to talk about the ways that the church has not been who it's supposed to be in the world um, for decades, for generations. There's still room to talk about all of those things. And in fact, those things become important because of what we actually have to pass on to the next generation. And so that that's, again, something that is easy to say and needs to be said and then we figure out how to live into it. Again, this may be where we get emails and messages where people say, and please do not invite Derek back on Studio Wesley Annex. And I understand, but that's my take of Psalm, six, Psalm 78. And I will now mute myself as Michael excoriates me. Well, I, no, no, I think it's great. I, I first want to start off by saying whoever's <laughs> this is where I'll get canceled. Whoever's in charge of these like verses in the liturgy or whatever, like the re, you better show me your work on why you left out verse eight because now I'm like that's this that's the best part of this like this whole thing. That's me speaking as a young person, right? Of like, meh, meh. but but uh, no, no, that's that's a uh, that's awesome. I I think it's I think this is re- specifically important because. And, and I don't want to make this claim too largely, like, um, but but I at least in my experience, I've noticed much more insecurity in my generation and younger generations versus like the generations before me. And maybe that's just an kind of an age thing. So maybe we grow out of it. But but um, hear, hearing that sort of call and responsibility put on a generation that does feel a little bit more insecure. It's, it is scary. It's scary to be like, wait, me, like I have, you want me, you want me to what? It's my response. Um, can that just be, can I just be somebody else? You know? Um, but, but it's that exact, like, it's that exact diversity of perspectives and, um, uh, hit like the amount of life you've lived that gives you a very unique experience with God and very, and I do think God gives you very different experiences with, you know, wherever you are on your journey, where you start your journey, where you end your journey, where like, you know, all of that's so different for everybody. So absolutely. Why would we ever want to discredit a a younger person or a newer person in their walk with faith? Like, no, this is a responsibility that everybody shares for the future for the future generation and that future generation, maybe we're talking about future like spiritual generations. So maybe you as the 19 year old are speaking into like a 70 year old who's new on their walk, walk in faith. And maybe you have four years of them. Like maybe that's the next generation that we're talking about. This isn't age necessarily. This is like, this can be so many things. So it is everybody's shared responsibility. So um, I love that. Love that. Yeah. So, all right, uh, man, this is this is good stuff. This is such good stuff. Uh, we're gonna end it strong with Matthew twenty-five verses one through thirteen. That is the chunk I have. Um, again, possibly a familiar passage. It's okay if it's not. Um, I've heard this terminology um, of of our lives as the bridegroom, and this is something my my father spoke about a ton as I was growing up. This is the imagery that's used of of our kind of relationship. Um, to Jesus and God as like this sort of marriage to the church. Um, uh, this story specific, I mean, I guess I'll, let me summarize the story a little bit. So we have, um, we have some women 
and they're set to be bridesmaids as a, at a marriage or a wedding, and they're supposed to meet the groom. Uh, sorry, I'm looking it over real quick to make sure I don't botch any of these details. Supposed to meet the groom. Um, it's like very dark, so they need to bring their lanterns. Some of the women prepare by bringing extra oil for their lanterns. Some of them don't because they're so excited. And then evening time comes. Some of them run out of oil. Some of them don't. The ones that run out of oil have to go get more oil. While they're off getting more oil, oil the groom comes, and they miss their chance. They miss, they miss the wedding. They miss this, this moment. Um, and uh, the bride, bridegroom specifically, he ends up um, say, uh, refusing them when they come later after finally getting their stuff. So at first glance, this story does make me really sad. Um, and let me like, because I've been in that place so many times where I'm so excited that I lose sight of all the details, right? Like the preparation, the, the, like the excitement, I'm like so stoked that I forget to carefully plan for all the circumstances. So it's really hard for me to read this story where these women get really excited and then they go off and they're like, oh crap, I'm not prepared. And then they miss their shot. I mean, that, that to me is a very mournful story. Um, uh, like how, how, and then how does that exist? Again, this is all my first time reading this, right? I'm like, how does that exist in a world where God's, where Jesus is like, drop everything and follow me. Like, you're going to tell me those two stories, like live in the same world. Um, let me step out of that personal, like take for a second and um, lean into the symbolism and the kind of metaphor that Jesus is portraying here, um, which says that although we are chosen as brides, bridesmaids, the, the role in the grand scheme of things um, is not cemented. Uh, let me, my notes here. Uh, there are extra steps and there, and those extra steps may need more time than you think you have at the end. So it's not about, um, so it's not without, I don't, oh, sorry. Okay. I don't think it's without room. Like it may be possible. Like maybe this, like, again, these women, they go out, try to find a seller to sell them oil. Like maybe if the seller was like closer by, or maybe if like the other women brought enough oil to share, like it's possible there's room that, um, for you. But I do think ultimately God's asking for a little bit of extra work. Um, not like you, you are chosen. Yes. As a child of God, you are chosen. You have have the seat at the table. You're you, there's room for you, but I do think God's asking for you. God is asking for you to do a little bit of work. And again, I'm not saying like there's not room and possibility that it might wor work out without it. But I do think God wants us to join in on that journey and say, Hey, this means so much to me that I'm going to put in a little bit of extra work. Um, that's a very simplistic take. That's kind of where I landed on this. I, I spent so much time in the, the sorrow and the sadness for these excited women that I, I kind of uh, blew off the ending, but I'd love to hear what you were thinking, Derek. Yeah, again, um, you might be surprised by my take. This is another one of those passages that kind of get used um, to push narratives um, about the end times um, that um, are trying to give us some definites. Oh, yeah right that and we just we 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 don't actually have them that's not what faith is trying to do faith is not trying you to give us you'll miss your chance right like faith that's not that's a, and so i think that the important part of this passage um is uh, uh did we did it are we allowed to go to verse 13 i can now not even remember now yeah yes oh yeah into um, verse 13 yeah, good 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 yeah. yes, yes 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 therefore keep alert because you don't know the day or the hour and that is again that verse gets gets co-opted with 
and this is what mm. the day is, or this is what the hour is. And I don't know if we know that information. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. we know. It's about staying alert to what God is doing. That we, we continue to have sort of our, and we used to sing the song, keep your lamps trimmed and burning. There's this sense of always being ready for the next thing. And so I do think even this idea of these uh, bridesmaids, like the, this this thing you think you're you're waiting for, like there's actually so much more that's available to you, so much more that's coming. And so it is again, mm -hmm. at least in my take, there's this sense that we are in this middle space. Yes, there's a context that brings us here, but stay awake. Stay alert, because yeah. this is not all there is. There is something else. There is more. I literally told someone today who's um, that the, the future is really, really just just cloudy, fuzzy, has no clue what, what, what is coming. And I just said to them, and it's a faith statement here, I said, God is always doing more than we can account for. Mm -hmm. And so we just got to stay awake to it. We got to stay alert for whatever is coming. This is why we want to keep our lamps trimmed and burning, because there's more that God is doing, and we want to stay, we want to be here for it. But that also then means that we recognize that it is not just all the things that got us to this point, but it's what we take from this moment that pushes us into the next part of the story, the next era. And so of many things we could say about this passage, that is one thing. And again, that last verse for me is the, is the key. Therefore, keep alert because we actually don't know the next thing God's going to do. Hmm. I want to tie that into my, cause again, my impulse is all around this excitement and the sadness around like missing out. I'm like, yeah, what if not only are we, is it, Hey, you want to be prepared in case something exciting happens that you might miss, but it's also um, you want to be prepared in, like for the things that may not excite you. Right. The still, you still need to be there and be ready for, yeah. for an answer that call. So, yeah. 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 A yeah. little wow. bit less sad now. For those, for those <laughs> a little less sad. A little less, a little less sad. sad. But I appreciate your grief, um, your 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 empathy um and joining these bridesmaids who might not have gotten to see it's, all of the cool it's stuff. The, have you have you heard me say Jesus needs a better PR team? Like that's like gonna consistently be I'm like, come come on, man. Just like come on. No, I'm just kidding. That's me being very critical. Well, and there's some context. There's some context I know, I know. in this parable as well, and that. But and we can, we could have talked about that. I could have talked about the context of the yeah. parable, but I decided to talk about the last verse instead. So, no. Nah, well, we could always talk for longer than we have, but um, I think our viewers will lose their attention. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. That's not a critique on you guys. If you guys want us to do like a 24 hour crash course, let us. Oh know. Oh my gosh, a uh, Studio <laughs> Wesley Annex marathon. Gosh, yeah. where we all pop in yeah. at different times of the twin. Okay, you should pray us out, Michael. Uh, I will. I will pray us out. Uh, God, thank you so much for for this uh, for this journey. Again, no matter how many people are on this podcast, whether it's two, three, four, or a hundred people on a twenty-four hour stream, you know, we're uh, we're just thankful that you let us have these discussions and that um, you know maybe some of these words can open eyes. I mean, I know for myself personally, so much of this I um. I never, I never feel like I come in. I always feel like I leave with so much more than when I came in. And I, I feel like that's all we can ask for anybody who's um, engaging with your word. 
So thank you so much uh, in Jesus' name. Awesome. Derek, thanks so much for coming. Bro, thanks for inviting me. Letting the old guy we hang always out. Love it. We, we always love the old man cameo. I love it. You said it. You said it first, not me. All I right. Did, I love being uh, the old guy. I love it. I'm here for it. All right. You're you're really you're you're like living into that role very well, Derek. Um, just wait till that beard grays up. For the um, next eighty years, I'll be the old guy. <laughs> for the next eighty years, God be praised. One hundred and fifty. It's gonna look good on you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Until next time, this has been Studio Wesley Annex. Bye bye. See you, friends.